Well, good morning, everybody. Proverbs is dead. We're done with that series. Uh, we're on to a new one, and if you're confused, I know that the first series we did during interim had the same name, Different Dwell. That was us dwelling with God. I want to talk about God dwelling with us. It is a, it's, it's a, a critical thing. Where I want to look at particularly, which is Well, if you're wondering what those two little birds are, that is the Holy of Holies that was inside the tabernacle, eventually inside the temple. Because the temple is one of the most prolific images of God's willingness and desire, his plan to come live with his creation, to inhabit it. His heart is revealed in the fact that he chooses to inhabit a temple and not simply send commands. We read, this, we read about this temple, we read about this tabernacle, and, and we can miss that incredible revelation. This is not just a thing of command and obey, but God has chosen to come and to dwell with his creation. He chooses to inhabit it. And in speaking of inhabitants, I went to school in the place that I inhabited. I was homeschooled all the way through. Uh, honestly, the first time I went to an actual classroom setting was, was here, Portland Bible College. In college, I went to a, a classroom setting for the first time. Everybody was like, oh, the homework's terrible. I'm like, I've never done not homework. It's always been homework. Um, the interesting thing about homeschooling is that if you're really motivated, you could finish school before you get out of bed. Reach over, grab the books, just get it done. Uh, maybe have a late breakfast, but you could do it. And I did that maybe once or twice. What was more frequent, if you also wanted to, you could do what I did more often, which was you're opening your books for the first time at 9 p.m. that night. Because um, it's just all over. Your schedule could be anywhere. Do, do, do homework or do your school in the car while you're going somewhere uh, or not. Get in trouble. Do it late at night. This was my cycle. Now, I do remember uh, homeschooling gives you this certain, like, flexibility so that when my friend gave us the first four seasons of Lost on DVD, the entire family, all of us, because I wasn't the only one, all five of us were homeschooled, we lost days. We put, that, we put those DVDs in. Did anybody watch Lost, the TV show, J.J. Abrams' TV show? It keeps you in because of all of these plot twists. Every episode is this grand reveal, big plot twist. And we, we for two days, like sun up to sundown, we took meal breaks. We came back to it. It was like we were NASA Houston people that are going to land on the moon. Like, I can't step away. This is critical. I eat and I come back to my desk. We watched it all the way through. All these little reveals, though, they, that's what keeps you in with that show. And then what jettisons you is at the end when it just, they make no sense out of any of them. Uh, but I remember one reveal in particular. It's the one I remember the most. There's this episode where, uh, if you're not familiar with the show, what it is is a, a commercial airliner has crashed on a desert island and all the passengers are trying to survive and working together and not together at times. But as they're there, they find that the island is not normal. There's weird things going on, a paranormal almost level stuff. And there's this part where there's a, a man named Ben who's been very involved with the survival efforts and very involved with everybody. And all of a sudden, Ben goes missing and several other people go missing. And they get the passenger manifest and they realize Ben wasn't on the manifest bum, 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 he was on the island already. And the sense of horror, and then and that's the way, like, even right now, you're like, does he still have those DVDs? Can I approach him after this? <laughs> Who was Ben? How did he get on the island? Um, 
the reveal isn't quite as exciting as it should be. But um, it's, this, it's, a, it's an old trope, honestly, uh, that is in movies and TV all the time of the... Um, when is, I looked it up. There's an official term for it. Bum, ba, da, bum. The planted agent. It's done in, in movies all the time. That's like 007. Every woman he's ever with is like a double agent. That guy needs to, to go talk to his therapist as to why that keeps happening to him, okay? <laughs> if it happens once, that's on her. But like 20 movies in, it's still happening. <laughs> but the planted agent is this old story trope of the person who was there before with intentions and they waited. And the Bible describes, honestly, creation in very similar terms of a planted agent, that before things began, one was here. That before man walked the earth, he was here. The second act of God in all of Scripture is inhabiting his creation. Step one, get creation started. Step two, inhabit. I want to read uh, Genesis 1. First two verses of the Bible, we can find those so easy if you got your Bible with you. Flip to the first page after the concordance. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. A reference to God's manifest Presence and, and before we go any further, I think it's worth it to note that I, I think that there can often be confusion between God's omnipresence and God's manifest presence. I've even heard someone say, well, you should never pray for God to, to come because he's already here, as if this is some break. And I think people that say that, they don't understand, one, what we're praying, and two, what everybody in Scripture was praying when they prayed that, say, the Lord May your kingdom come, may your earth be done on, uh, or may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, praying that God would draw near. I wonder if those people go out to him and go, you don't have to pray that, Jesus. The kingdom is already here. Because omnipresence is the theological concept that God is everywhere at once, and there is nowhere he does not inhabit. And this is reinforced throughout Scripture everywhere, that, that there's nowhere one can go to hide from him. There's no place where he has to say, hey, what happened over there when I wasn't looking? His omnipresence, it yields this omniscience, or all-seeing, all-knowing. God is everywhere, and that is very true. But manifest presence is when God's presence arrives with purpose and with power, and it has a deep interaction it's more immediate, it's more personal, but confusion still presides. That's the teaching we shouldn't pray that God would come because he's already here. Because what, wouldn't you say that in God's omnipresence, he was everywhere in creation? Below the waters, behind the waters, beside the waters, within the waters, where the waters were not at all. But it says specifically his his spirit hovered over the waters, gives us this specific location to begin the idea right at the beginning that while God is everywhere present, there's something powerful about where his manifest, powerful, interacting, dwelling presence is. He was present everywhere, but in that place over the waters, he was present in a special way. 
It wasn't just omnipresence. It was the manifest presence, the temple-filling presence. There was uh, uh, times that things happened near the ark and around the temple that were incredible displays of power, people being irreverent and dropping dead or miracles happening, revelations taking place because it was not the same everywhere. And honestly, I think manifest presence makes a lot of sense if we reflect a little bit on our own experience of God, that yes, God is everywhere and we know that, but you know as well as I know, there have been times and places when you've encountered God and it was a little different. In those moments where it happens to us, that it hits our emotions and revelations happen and we are changed. And that's the temple work. That was the work that the temple was meant for. Yes, God inhabits all of Israel, but we go to Jerusalem for atonement. We go there for his manifest presence. God was everywhere, but the tabernacle, the temple, that's where the sacrifice, worship, encounter, where atonement was, where these things took place. There are and there are still special times when God comes to inhabit his creation in a special way. And it means something that that is his desire is to inhabit and to be here. And it's commonplace, I'll hear people say, uh, God is everywhere present and what changes is our awareness of it. And I think to some degree that is true. But uh, God's manifest presence is not entirely up to you. It isn't up to us. We can't just pay enough attention and cause that to happen because sometimes he shows himself powerfully and he's mysteriously sovereign. And when he does that, I'll tell you, sometimes I'll pray with tears and I'm met with silence. And sometimes I won't be thinking about God at all and some song will start up and all of a sudden God leaps into my life and the Holy Spirit does a whole church service in my heart in a few seconds. Honestly, I, this happened this, this week. We were at home, and my, my daughter loves this song. Um, on Rings of Power, there's this song uh, on Amazon, uh, This Wandering Day, and she would just wanted to hear it. And uh, why am I getting emotional about this song? It's happening now. But the song starts up, and I was working on something else, and it was like the world just stopped for a moment of uh, just how important it is to go out there and to find the Lord and to wander with him. And it happens to you. I can't control that. Can you? I can't. And so I would say, yes, there is a definitely a need to always be aware of God. I think an awareness grows particularly with gratitude as we thank God and we thank things around us, recognizing God's at work. But you are not in charge and you don't control when that manifest presence happens. There's just moments God reveals himself. And that's not to say that we don't fail to identify God when he is present. I think that um, sometimes we think that our, we give ourselves too much credit, that our own conviction and inspiration led us to those things. I think of the story of uh, two men after the crucifixion in Scripture. They're walking on the road to Emmaus. And they were disciples of some kind. They weren't one of the 12, but they were among the many. And they're talking about the, the crucifixion and everything that's going on. And Jesus appears with them, and I don't, he must have looked different because they don't recognize him for a long time. They have a long conversation with him. 
And, and Jesus even opens up and begins to pour out wisdom, talking about where the Messiah was in the Old Testament. And they, they, they say afterward, their spirits were on fire. And when uh, they look and he's gone, and it occurs to him, oh my word, that was Jesus, that was the Messiah, it changes dramatically what they experienced, but they began to experience God well before they realized it. I find that's true for all of us. The question, the answer to the question is often, when did God come into my life? When did God come into the situation? Way before we realized it. This planted agent. We often find when we grow aware of God that he has been a planted agent for our good for a long time. Because his, his spirit hovered over the waters, and at this first beginning point, formless, void, chaos. This is when matter is there, but there is no life. Nothing can survive here. This planet was a cosmic wasteland. And he goes and he waits. He waited for them. He waited for Adam. Getting creation ready, being at work before he got there, and eventually breathing life and giving Adam a portion of his own spirit to become sentient and alive. He waited for Moses, uh, even as a boy when, when Pharaoh attempted to wipe out his generation. He inspired his mother to put him in the basket and to send him down the river to save him. In an act of desperation, I can't watch him die, so I'll just get rid of him and I won't have to see it. Guiding it to Pharaoh's daughter that he would be adopted, giving him experiences to identify with the oppression of the Hebrews, and eventually... Moses realizes how much God was at work in his life when God reveals himself in his manifest presence in the burning bush. God was everywhere in the world at that point, in all of creation, but that was the manifest moment. That is when God revealed himself. And so God waits for you, doing things at work, active for the grand reveal. So good, it has you pop the next DVD and watch the next season. You know, sometimes we think, what can change me? What can make me different? I, I know me. I know that I'll start something new, and it's, it's over as fast as any diet that started on a Monday. It just it doesn't last. What could change me that I could be that dedicated to God for a lifetime, that long, connected, and staying in, and actually be a different person? And the answer is when that grand reveal happens, it hooks you better than lost. It hooks you in to where you are, you are in, everything else stops. And you find that chasing God is something that's very hard to not do. When we see his manifest presence. What's interesting is uh, it's in the original language a little bit more here. I think formless and void, uh, it's empty darkness was over the land, these words like this. They give us an idea of the chaos that's being mentioned in Genesis 1, there's actually, the Hebrew is so chaotic that it's, it's almost malevolent. Like, like creation is almost just evil. And it's really a thing of chaos. And there's this deep connection with Hebrews and uh, their idea of the world that the ocean and all of it was chaos. Absolute chaos and danger. And that it's a place that only God could reign in. But the first act of God in creation is to reign in chaos and bring order. And it can be hard for us to connect the ocean with chaos. I love the beach. I go there and it doesn't feel like chaos. It feels like tranquility. 
I love going to the beach and watching the waves crash. I don't know about you, but it hits my spirit. I don't feel that way, but I think if we look at it um, this way, I want to show you a picture real quick. That's the Coast Guard. (laughs) Um, I once read an interview with someone who was in the Coast Guard, and they said uh, they joined the Coast Guard because they wanted to join the one military branch that wasn't at war. And then he found that they were, in fact, at war with a civilian army of idiots with boats. Because the Coast Guard will do this. They say, don't go out today. It is treacherous. Your giant steel ships can't handle it. Stay in. And people go, you can't tell me what to do, Coast Guard. You're not the boss of me. And they go out. And then the Coast Guard has to go out too and save you. I find it remarkable, those two guys in orange on top, look how relaxed they are. That bow is easily 40 feet in the air. Um, And uh, they just look like they're discussing the last episode of Mandalorian and sipping coffee. And there they go. (laughs) It's a remarkable thing. And as impressive as they are, check out the next picture here. This is definitely some of the most amazing. So that ship is sinking, thus it listing to the right. Uh, They went out when they weren't supposed to. And they have to save them. You can't land a guy on the boat because it's rocking so much. The chance of that rescue person breaking his legs is high. You can actually see him there. He looks like a big black duck hanging out underneath that helicopter. That is a, a Coast Guard rescue swimmer. Go to the next photo here. So their job is this. They get dropped off in the ocean, and they swim to the ship with a steel cable on their back to begin the extraction which is remarkable because you think about it and they say, don't go out into the ocean today in your giant steel ships, it's not safe. But if you do, Steve will jump in the water with his soft, fleshy body and swim to you. Don't worry about Steve, he's got a heavy steel cable on his back and he swims over through the chaos, through the mess to a ship that has no hope. A ship that is unorderly, has no ability to deliver itself to come to bring people onto a functioning proper helicopter to get out of there. And I would imagine, and you look at the photo here, and you can really see the chaos in the next one. I would imagine that when a rescued swimmer comes to you, it's probably the worst day of your life. This photo is taken at Niagara Falls. A car is being swept away, and there's a woman stuck inside. And she's been powerless. She's been stuck. She's been trapped on the inside. And she's at a place where a lot of people find when they need a rescue swimmer. You only need one when you're in big trouble. But... When that person arrives, they bring order into the chaos. Before it was slapping waves and the car pushing further and further into the deep water at Niagara, further and further into trouble with nothing to do. And now there's working cables and there's flotation devices and there are uh, carabiners galore to click you together with it. And if you're wondering, you can see in the next photo here, uh, they save her. God does a very similar thing in our life. That he is waiting, presiding over chaos, and he brings order to it. If you're in chaos and your life is in trouble, and you need one who brings order, the first step is to begin with prayer. You see, humanity was given an amazing gift, uncommon to all of the creatures of this world. We are made to be his temples in this world, the place where his presence rests and where it comes out from, to be priests of that presence and to bring it into the world. 
when our prayers are opened, it opens a faucet to eternal hope. Human prayer is powerful because think of this, when our God became human, he began to pray and he has never stopped. The only thing we know Jesus is doing in this moment is praying, as the book of Hebrews tells us, praying and praying and praying. And if prayer is a weapon used so constantly by Christ, then it should be used constantly by us as priests of this created order, to to bring God's presence closer, to open up, to, to, to cut open this veil, that manifest presence would be there, that order would come. This is why you pray, and this is why you should pray with faith, because you are not a normal creature. You don't pray like anything else. You were anointed and gifted to do that thing. And he brings us order. At the commencement of Scripture, God invites us to learn about him, to be with us and to dwell with us. And yet we find the manifest uh, presence of the unknown one, the incarnate word is yet to come. And Hebrews says this about the Son. What does he reveal about God? The Son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being sustaining all things through his powerful, powerful word. I'm in trouble now. I got to read John 1. Everyone buckle in. (laughs) He represents all of that. A perfect representation. You see Jesus, you see God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to every one was coming into the world. He was in the world... And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent. Come on, I can do it. If you can't tell, it's been a long week. Uh, Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And so critically for today, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one of the, of the only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. We did it. I only cry when I read scripture mostly, so we should be fine now. <laughs> Christ shining in darkness as this perfect representation of God. When you see him, you see the Father. It's this continuation to drive the point that God's entire point is to be with us in his manifest presence. Once again, a planted agent is dropped in among us. You know, when Christ first enters the temple, it should be this really amazing thing. In, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, we see this prophetic vision of the glory of God leaving the temple 
We never see a vision of it coming back. We have no idea if Herod's temple had the manifest glory of God in it, but we do know Jesus showed up one day for the first time as a baby to be circumcised. And no one recognized him except for one old man who had waited for the Lord to come, and he and another old lady were the only ones that did. Whole temple, God entered in and two people noticed. He started small, but his honor has become completely unending. He was unrecognized while he did his work, but the mark he left behind is remarkable, and I think we need to remember how that works. You see, Jesus is like the the son of of a founder who founded a great and mighty corporation. And instead of just stepping right into the VP role without anyone knowing who he is, he went and applied for the lowest job in the mailroom. And then he did that so well and worked so well that he gets promoted to custodial. They really like him. They feel like he could do maintenance. They move him to maintenance, and he keeps working his way up until earning, not by inheritance, but by achievement, working his way up to the title of CEO. It says uh, in Hebrews that he... uh, that he ascends higher than the angels by what he does, not by what he, the name that he inherited, but what he did was worthy of the name he inherited. Then who this son of the president of the company is revealed. Everyone sees who he is and his manifest presence rests on the company. Christ did something so much like that. He waited and he worked he was just a boy. He, he got circumcised on the day he was supposed to. He was raised up and learned the law at the, at the pace he was supposed to. He became a carpenter and, ended his, and earned his keep. He became a teacher. He became a leader. And from sacrifice to king of kings, it starts off slow and it begins to grow. When we see Christ, we see God, we see the way he does things, we see his heart, we see his intention. And the fact is, is that oftentimes when we experience God, it's like that, that silly song from the silly line from the Grinch, it started in low and it started to grow. That it is long after he has been here that we realize he's been here a long time. That when Adam walks this world, he has to realize that there are footprints, they're older than his. Before you got into the crisis you were in, God was there. Before you ever thought about coming to church, before you ever thought about opening up a Bible, God has been doing things, bumping around like, a, like bumpers at a bowling alley to bring you into his presence. It starts out slow and it begins to grow. Christ was planted in your life ahead of you. He came for one purpose, to dwell with you. He brings context to your life, like connecting dots, where he was, what he was doing, making sense of the trauma and the places you've been. He brings meaning to the things you've done. There's this amazing thing that happens that horrible stuff happens to you when you're in Christ, and somehow it becomes a step to get up onto for the next things for you. It's like nothing can do you all that much harm. There's healing, there's restoration, and there's life after death. He brings order to your chaos. I really think there's people in this room that this is your time. This is your era. 
when God has been bouncing you into and coming in and bringing you into a temple presence, that this is the grand reveal time for you. When he begins to show who he is and where he's always been. It has always been God's intention. The last line of scripture is, and the Lord Jesus Christ dwell with his people forever. The first line is that he came and he dwells. The last one is, and he dwells with them forever. If you're wondering if God really wants to speak to you, lead you, direct you, change your life, really cares to live with you in your life, consider the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Consider Christ dwelling with his people forever, that when given the choice, God became one of us and made his dwelling among us. Be the priest that you were meant to be and pray into this dwelling place. God wants to speak with you. This is not a read and obey matter. There was a temple that was built. There was a presence that was here. God wants to be with you. Goal one from the beginning to the end from hovering over waters to hanging on a cross to the final line of scripture has been God dwelling with his people. Of all the things that Christ represents, it is dwelling with his people. And he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It all came down to dwelling with his creation. Compose and move on. It's all about this. God wishes to dwell with you to live with you, to be with you. And I'll tell you this, you were made for this. This isn't some uh, obscure thing for some people. You were made for this. God is here and he's always been here. And you might find as he rises in your mind and in your heart, he was there long before you ever realized. Moments that shock you. The things that he protects you from the disappointments you once felt like you swatted out of your hands to only realize that you were trying to grab poison. God inhabits his temple. And you are his temple. And to find him begins with faith. Believing the planted agent really has been here and changing our focus on then where was he? Where has he been? If I know he's been here, then where? And believing he is here now, what is God saying to you? We give our conscience way too much credit. Mine is not nearly as smart as God. What is God saying to you? I really think the challenge of this whole study comes down to it's time to risk faith, to believe in God, to believe God is here, to believe God's been pursuing you, and to believe that God wants to do something by indwelling in your life. And it is a call for people who have called uh, Jesus their Lord for, for years and years, decades, to say, I need more presence. My expectations have been off. Your expectations should be that God wants to dwell with you today, this afternoon, that God wants to speak with you. And for those that have been exploring and seeking, bumped around, and this is your moment, the challenge is for you today. It begins with greater faith. Some of us will be praying, God, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And some people will be praying, God, I believe today for the first time. 
but we're going to pray because that's what we're anointed to do. And it changes things and it ushers in and allows us to be those priests. Lord, this morning, we recognize what kind of creature we are. And we recognize what kind of creator you are. That from the beginning, it came down to this. That God with us, Emmanuel, is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. God, I pray that for um, veterans in the faith whose expectation has morphed and changed and has made it hard to expect that you would really want to speak to them today, or that that's something that is, that's in your heart. God, I pray that we could allow you to come in and, and reorder, take the blocks apart of our faith, put them back together, that it would be correct, that we would realize the entire gospel message is that the Lord dwells with his people forever. Thank you for coming and hovering over the waters. Thank you for your temples over the years. Thank you for the moments in our own lives we were confronted with manifest presence. And I pray that we would be changed from past experience, present experiences, from the study that we go through in this series, God, that we would be more awakened to your dwelling. May this be a time you dwell with us. Lord, I pray for the, the question askers, the seekers, how they want to experience you haven't yet found out how. God, we know that it begins with belief. It begins when we look back and we, we see the ways that just like Moses, he were in our childhood. Now, even then, before we called on you to save us, you were bringing order to chaos and bringing us along and protecting us and securing us. God, I pray for a grand reinterpretation of just who we are in this created order. Lord, I pray for those that believe in you today for the first time to say, I will pursue God and I wanna see where he is and I'm gonna try it with this faith thing and I'm gonna risk faith that they would do so freely, powerfully, and that your presence be revealed to them today, tomorrow, the next day, starting in low, starting to grow, getting bigger, getting grander until the miracle of their changed hearts and their changed minds convinces them entirely that their Savior lives. Lord, would you be with us today? We invite your presence to go with us as we leave everything that we have planned for today, every social event, every quiet moment. Come and dwell with us, Lord. In your name I pray, amen.